Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's Steve and Jimmy here with you on this Monday afternoon, a couple days after Roma's big win over Atalanta. A big, not in the sense of the scoreline, but just in the magnitude of getting another win against La Dea. Um, you know, Roma struggled against top sides, but Gasparini's team has fallen victim to Mourinho's Roma twice this season. So, Jim, how are you doing a couple of days after uh, what was a pretty satisfying victory? Yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, honestly, this Atalanta side, if you had asked me at the beginning of the season what team would Rome, what big team Roma would get six points off of this season, I would not have picked Atalanta. Um, so the fact that we were able to do it and really convincingly the first time, uh, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the long-term project that Roma seems to be building here. There are definitely going to have to be a lot of players, you know, shifted out, but especially with the younger players who seem to be part of the core, uh, there's a lot to look forward to and a lot to enjoy right now. Yeah, for sure. De- definitely fun to watch them beat Atalanta twice this season. The numbers, when you look at the numbers, wouldn't suggest that Roma would have won either of these matches in terms of possession, things like that. I'll get into, into that yeah. in a bit. Uh, we will have some listener questions at the end. But first, Jim and I are just going to have a little conversation about this match because, hey, we finally get to talk about uh, another win against one of the seven sisters, so to speak. So it's something we haven't gotten to do much in the last year and a half since the pod's been around. So we're going to enjoy it while we can. Um, Going into the match, you know, I I do the problem formations. I predicted nine out of the 11 spots, right? The two I missed on were Zalewski playing left wing back and Kumbula playing left center back. Jim, anything in the starting 11 surprise you when Mourinho put the lineup out there? Uh, I mean, the the Zalewski start definitely surprised me in a good way. Uh, I was really happy to see it. I mean, you guys all know that I'm a pretty big fan of his. Uh, but I was not really anticipating to see him play at left wing back, uh, especially because of who we signed in the January window. I mean, we signed Maitland Niles and we have Matias Vina, who both are, are, are theoretically better fits at left wing back than Zalewski, who we've seen more as a forward. Uh, so the fact that he played was great. 
And we will we'll talk later about how he, before he had to come off with an injury, basically had a man of the match level performance. Uh, but at the same time, it was surprising to see him in that left wing back role. What did you think, Steve? Yeah, that was the one that jumped out at me. I actually, I think, I, I think I made a public tweet. I tweeted at you that uh, I was asking if Salvatore Fote, Fote is actually you in disguise with Mourinho out <laughs> <Yeah>. two matches. <laughs> Uh, Zalewski gets to start both matches. I know you've been on um, Zalewski since the beginning of the season, asking for more playing time for him, and it it panned out. We'll talk about his performance later, but that was the one that surprised me. I was slightly surprised to see Kumbala over Ibanez, but not real surprised because Ibanez is coming off the injury. I just thought maybe Mourinho would go back to what he'd been going with, but worked out very well because we'll talk about Kumbula later too. He had a he had a very strong performance, so we'll definitely come back to him. Yeah, in the match once it got started. Roma, again, seeded a lot of possession Atalanta. Atalanta finished with a 64% possession. You know, the first time these teams met, it was 72% possession Atalanta. So Roma clearly had an idea of wanting to counterattack a team that likes to attack them. It worked out. The first match, 4-1, the only goal they gave up was Brian Cristante's own goal. This time around, they kept Atalanta off the score sheet and got the lone goal from Tammy Abraham, which they needed. Just to run through a couple key numbers here, you know, just to to really point out how much more of the ball Atalanta had. They had 628 passes, uh, 788 touches to Roma's 485. Roma only uh, completed 250 out of 346 passes. So pretty low pass accuracy, 72%. Part of that, probably the fact that Roma's trying to hoof some long balls over the top on the counterattack, whereas Atalanta controlling possession at 86% passing accuracy. One thing that jumped out at me though, Jim, when I was going through the numbers for my four key uh, you know, stats, in this one was that Atalanta only had seven shots total four on target with all that possession they had. So Roma did a good job in that sense, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, one of the things that I think Roma fans need to realize as we're developing the squad is that I don't think we're going to be able to win with champagne football against the big clubs immediately. I don't think that that was ever reasonable, particularly with the way Mourinho generally plays. I mean, Mourinho's not known for, you know, fan like, the gorgeous La Magica football that uh, Roma fans kind of expect. But, you know, I think that we're in enough of a title drought as a club uh, that the priority should be to get the results up to the expectations that we have before, you know, expecting like 4-1 gluts against the big boys every single time. Uh, So something else that I kind of noticed kind of on that similar vein is, you know, expected goals. Rome only had mm. 0.2 more goal expected goals than Atlanta. So they had 1.1 to Atlanta's 0.9. And the fact that, you know, it ended in a 1-0 win instead of a 1-1 draw really does come down to some excellent work on the defensive end. Uh, I think that we did look more cohesive as a defensive unit than I've sometimes seen against smaller sides even. Uh, so like, I, I, been really frustrated sometimes with mistakes made by Chris Smalling, by um, Brian Cristante. And all in all, we didn't really have an issue with that this time around. There were some, you know, mistakes that were made, but it obviously wasn't serious enough to result in any goals really happening, or as you said, many shots on target. Yeah, I think the one little like brain fart I could remember happened, and I think it happened to be Mary Demaral who ended up on the end of the ball and, and shot the ball wide. He was kind of wide open on goal. Uh, in kind of a messy play. And luckily for us, it was one of their center backs and not a center back who's known for putting the ball in the back of the net. And uh, they dodged that bullet. And other than that, I don't remember really any great chances from Atalanta. I think you brought up a great point. No real loose passes that led to any like breaks for Atalanta that Roma was able to contain anything um, that came their way. And 
it worked perfectly for what they want to do. Cause like we mentioned, seeding possession out onto both matches, the counterattack worked last time for four goals this time, not as you know, many big chances created as evidenced by the 1.1 XG for Roma, but the one goal that happened was a perfect counterattack. Really. It was Rick Karsdorp got the ball, played it long to Zaniolo, who did a, a great job to bring it down. His pass was slightly behind Abraham, who made a great play to, to you know, control it, bring it forward with him, and, and slotted the ball home past Juan Musa. Really a lovely goal, uh, a team-type goal for a counterattacking side there. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, you, you guys all know that I haven't been the biggest fan of Rick Karsdorp this season. And I will still say that, you know, despite that really, honestly, perfect pass up to Zaniolo, uh, I still see him as a, you know, basically like a zero wins above replacement type right back for us. Like he's, he does the job serviceably, but I'm hoping that we can find an upgrade in the short to medium term. Uh, still that, that link up play between Karsdorp to Zaniolo to Abraham was basically what you need to make a goal happen against the big side. It was a great goal, a great team goal. Uh, and it kind of showed that, you know, as opposed to certain moments with other strikers that I won't name who have been in Roma's past, uh, Abraham has the ability to really get actively involved in a buildup that I think is really kind of exciting. He's a very mobile attacker. And that was Abraham's 20th goal of the season for Roma uh, in all competitions, number 13 for Serie A alone. And I think we have to get, we're getting to the point with his performances now where I think our biggest concern has to be when that um, 80 million euro transfer fee option uh, becomes available for Chelsea because he is looking like the best English striker without question. And he's looking like the next um, kind of the guy who'll take over for Harry Kane uh, if current form is any indicator for the long term. Yeah, I think uh, I think we do have to be worried if he continues this form next year and um, hopefully improves on it, really, because he is growing as a player under Mourinho, that with Lukaku not really panning out at all at Chelsea, do they bring him back? Now, Chelsea is going through their own issues with uh, Abramovich having to, to decide to sell the team with the, the Russia conflict going on and his ties to Putin. So who knows who the ownership will be, if there'll be changes in the front office, and maybe that might change their opinion of Abraham one way or another. But in terms of his form... A team like Chelsea, who's not afraid to splash 80 million euros, at least at the, at the current moment, might reconsider bringing him back in a, another like 15 months. And that would, you know, it would finance a lot for Roma, but it would also leave a gaping hole at, at center forward, which is another thing that Roma would have to worry about because he is playing well. 13 goals right now puts him fifth in the league. Only two of those penalties, 20 in all comps. You know, some people might scoff at the conference league goals a little bit because uh, the competition in some of those matches is a little bit lower, but 20 goals is 20 goals. And, you know, just imagine if he didn't have those like five, six or seven posts at the beginning of the season, he might be on 25 by now. So it might be pushing for the capo in the league because a lot of those were in the league, those posts. So very impressive. Yeah, I would just add that anyone who's scoffing at the conference league goals really needs to start scoffing at zero immobilized penalties or like basically any other of the strikers in that top five penalties because if Roma got penalties, you know, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. But if Roma, if Roma got penalties, uh, I agree with you. I think Abraham would probably be a lot closer to 20 just in the league alone. Yeah, Abraham didn't start taking Roma's penalties either until recently because early in the season, you know, Vertu was taking them. I think Pellegrini took one or two. So he, he could be, if he was taking the, the volume of penalties that 
Vlaovic or Immobile was taking, he would certainly be up there uh, even further up the list. It's just in the past couple of weeks, he started taking penalties for Roma. So definitely a good point there too. Um, so interesting enough, Roma, like we mentioned, their only wins against top side this season are really against Atalanta. You can count the Fiorentina ones now because Fiorentina has proven to be a European challenger, but went back in match day one, when the uh, Gialarossi got the win against Atalanta, or rather Fiorentina, Fiorentina was not considered really a European challenger. They were coming off a rough season with a new manager. So really these two wins against Atalanta stand out. And I don't know what it is that's made them so successful. Can you pinpoint Jim? Is it just the, the style of play that maybe Roma's fared well against tactically? Maybe it's Mourinho and the Gasparini matchup or something else. I have to think at least part of it is the Mourinho-Gasparini tactical matchup because I think that the way that Gasparini plays is actually is a really enjoyable style of play. Like when Atlanta isn't when Atlanta isn't playing Roma, I find them to be one of the more enjoyable sides to watch as a neutral. Not just because they're not you know Juventus or AC Milan or Inter, but also because they generally play an interesting brand of football. But in many respects, I would argue that Mourinho's style of football historically speaking, has been, was basically made in a lab to pick apart that Gasparini style of football. And that's not to diss Gasparini style of football. As I said, I find it really enjoyable. But if we're talking about a matchup between two managers' tactical styles, I think Mourinho will come out on top in this particular situation. Um, I would also just add that, you know, it probably doesn't hurt that we have a good number of former Atlanta players in the fold. Uh, whether that's Roger Ibanez or Brian Cristante or yeah, like Mancini, we have a yeah. good Mancini too. I mean, we like, we have players who not only played in Atlanta before, but played under Man, um, Gasparini and succeeded. Uh, Ibanez less so he more exploded when he came to Roma, but at the same time, these are players who have trained with that manager before. And that has to help them understand how Atlanta plays, particularly against the club like Roma, where, you know, Atlanta is in many ways uh, the club that I want Roma to become on a larger, like on a smaller scale. Obviously Roma is Roma and Roma has, you know, a lot more history, a lot more iconic players associated with than Atalanta does. But at the same time, the way that Atalanta has built itself up over the past several years is to be commended. Even if, you know, they're the only big side that we've been taking all six points from this season. Yeah. I think you make a good point about the the three players and Ivani didn't really feature much in this one. It was just toward the end when he came in, but just from a training standpoint, having Cristante there and his his knowledge of the the game, and he seems like a player who takes to to manager's tactics pretty well. Probably can you know fill Mourinho in on some of those tidbits. So can Mancini, and they can kind of read that game a little bit better, uh, knowing how at least those players are trained to react in certain situations, maybe certain movements. And you know the Roma defense had a strong match, uh, especially Mancini. I thought was pretty solid this time. He didn't get himself in any silly fouls that he normally does which helps because we know he can get himself in yellow card trouble. So I, I think in certain ways that definitely has an effect. And I think, you know, this match, Adelanta didn't come in in the best form. They did smack around Sampdoria last Monday, but they've been struggling a bit. And Duvon Zapata was out, which helps. Ilicic was out, which helps. But the first time these teams played, Duvon Zapata was there. Roma shut him down. So there is certainly some tactics that go into this, I think. I think it's a good matchup for Roma currently with Mourinho in place. It wasn't always a good matchup the past couple seasons because Gasparini had had Roma's number quite a few times, but this time it worked out well. And um, credit to the players for really executing the game plan, because if you're going to win playing counterattacking football, at some point you have to hit out on the counterattack. Roma did that once this time very well, the previous match a bunch of times very well. 
and they stayed compact enough where they didn't give a lot up. And, and there's a couple players that stand out, not even just in the defense uh, as to why Rome was able to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to start here with uh, we'll start with the defense. We'll go from the back out and the defense was stout. Like we said, only gave up seven total shots at really as a team, you have to consider that because you're playing the midfield, you know, having to cover their gaps too. But Max Kambula, uh, he played, he put in a solid performance. Jim, do you think this was his best performance in a Roma shirt? A guy who was, you know, supposedly on the way out in January, looking like a big time bust for the 28 million or so that they purchased him for a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with his performances in 2022 period. So I don't know if I would jump to say that it was his best performance in a Roma shirt. But I would say that it's the it's just another kind of nail in the coffin for the narrative that, you know, Kumbula is totally out of his league at the club. Because I think that a lot of people were, first of all, kind of confused that he would be uh, brought in for Roma in the first place. Because it was like, well, we already have two young center backs. Why do we need a third? Uh, and, you know, to a certain extent in his first season, they, he kind of proved those naysayers right, not really looking like he fit on Roma's team and looking kind of like his excellent performances at Verona were more just a byproduct of being at a place like Verona as opposed to having the pressure of playing defense for Roma. Uh, given that, you know, in the past couple months, he's looked incredible. Uh, he obviously isn't you know going to break his way through in the way that Ibanez did just yet to be you know a practically stenciled in starter uh for every single match but he's showing a whole lot of promise and he's still pretty young so I think that you know especially if and when Chris Smalling kind of ages gracefully or less so grace less gracefully uh over the course of the next year or two uh, you should expect to see Kumbola become pretty much an out-and-out starter for this club. He's looking great, and yeah, I, I'm pretty excited for where he can go. Yeah, I, I think it's a great decision not to move on from him because after that Bodo Glimt match, he was one of the players that ended up in Mourinho's doghouse, and I credit him for being maybe the only one. I, I, I can't remember everybody off the top of my head, but the, maybe the only one that actually took that criticism and didn't you know, cower from the criticism and, and become a worse player or, or ask for a way out of, of the side. He's actually taken that as constructive criticism. You know, he licked his wounds a little bit, got back in Mourinho's good graces, and now is performing well. And, and, you know, Mourinho is the master motivator, they say. You know, he's good at playing those mind games and really motivating players. And this is a guy who has taken to Mourinho and decided, you know what, I'm not going to run away from the situation and ask for a move to Torino and go play for Juric again. I'm going to stay in Rome. And I'm going to work on what needs to be worked on. And I'm become a better player. And he's becoming a better player. And he's 22 years old. You know, he's still a young player. Defenders take time to develop. He was a revelation at Verona as like a 19, 20-year-old. But not every player is that ready at that age. Juric's tactics fit him well. He came to a bigger club with higher expectations, uh, more of a spotlight on him. And then when that $28 million price tag gets dropped on you, the, the you know, the pressure's on a little bit more. And I'm sure a bit overwhelming last season under Fonseca, who's not as uh, defensively, you know, known as a manager in terms of like developing defenders. And um, it's taken some time under Mourinho as well. He's not the fleetest of foot guys, but you know what? He knows how to defend when he's in these, in these positions. And yesterday I I looked at some through his numbers because there were some numbers that dumped out of me. He applied 33 pressures uh, most of the season for him with 12 successful pressures, most of the season for him there. Uh, six tackles with four tackles. One was his highest numbers of the season. So certainly a lot of action came his way. You know, sometimes with a defender, it depends on which way a team is attacking. Clearly Atalanta thought they could attack him. 
and probably find some weaknesses. And he shut down Matteo Piscina, who's an inter Italy international, had a hand in the Euro 2020 triumph for Italy. And he was pulled after 60 minutes with a fairly anonymous game. He didn't, he didn't do much at all from what I noticed in the match. And uh, he, he came off after an hour because, you know, he was out of ideas. He couldn't beat Kambula. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, I was looking over, oh, it was, it's terrible to look at it again, but, you know, looking over the Bodo Glimt match report and you're hundred percent right. He is the only guy in that starting 11 who is either other than Rui Patricio, who is both still on the team and still getting consistent minutes. Yeah. Um, the only, everyone else is, I guess, Rodri Ibanez. Th those two are the, those three, Kambola, Ibanez, and Patricio, are the only three who are on the team and getting consistent minutes. Myral's gone, VR's gone, um, Darboe, and Diawara, uh, El Shirawi, Carlos Perez, Calafiori, and Brian Reynolds are either like not at the club or not playing. Uh, so it's a pretty good testament to his determination that he didn't just break down like a lot of other yeah. players in that that eleven did. Uh, and I got to say coming into this season, I hate to pile on him because he's had a rough go of it as, of late, but I, I had a lot higher hopes for Gonzalo VR and then I had for Kumbula and they've basically swapped in my mind in terms of thinking what their future will be, regardless of whether that's at Roma or not, simply because I honestly do think that to be successful at anything, let alone sport, you have to be able to weather the bad times. And I think that because to a certain extent, the expectations were lower last season. I mean, there was the ownership change. There was COVID. There was so much going on. Uh, I feel like there were lower expectations for Paulo Fonseca's second last season. And now when this, the uh, standards are higher, when, you know, it's unacceptable to lose uh, certain players buckled uh, who might've gotten kind of used to being thought of as, you know, stars to come and Kambula he turned it around. He figured out what he needed to do better. He worked with Mourinho. He worked with the staff to become a better player. And that, you know, that really deserves a lot of praise. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, Mourinho has got to love a player who's got that kind of mental fortitude to, to stand up to the criticism and have the determination, like you said, to improve. And he might be the one now that makes Roger Ibanez a little bit more expendable in the summer if Roma does decide to cash in. Cause we know there's been rumors that Ibanez could be, someone that other teams come, you know, sniffing around. And if the, a big enough offer comes in, maybe Kambula makes him a little bit more expendable if they want to get a, a more veteran player in there to complement Kambula and Mancini and Smalling. Who knows? Uh, it could be an option, but it's definitely a sign of good things for Roma to have Kambula playing well. It gives them just another option at center back, and it, it bodes well for the future of the club. You know, Mancini had a, a pretty solid performance. Smalling didn't really put a foot wrong. You mentioned Karsdorp has kind of bounced back in this performance after a couple of rough outings. So the defense played well. Uh, but, you know, to really stop a team like Atalante takes a full team approach. And really the midfield has to play well too. And probably the man of the match has to be Henrik Mkhitaryan. He was in a more withdrawn role playing more in that double pivot. It was a 3-4, 1-2-2-1, depending on how you look at Zaniolo's role in this match. He was in that double pivot with Brian Cristante. He is not your prototypical DM. He's not the DM that Jose Mourinho would have asked for this summer. He's known more as really a, a, an attacking midfielder in his time at Roma, especially playing out in the wing, playing in that Tre Cartista role when uh, Pellegrini's been out. And I'm going to give you this stat. This is the one that jumped out at me the most, Jim. He had 19 recoveries in this match. That was yeah. 
19 out of 80 for Roma. So just about a quarter of Roma's recoveries came from Henrik Mkhitaryan. I mean, that just shows, speaks to the work rate that he put in in this match. Yeah, and I mean, first of all, a lot of credit to Mkhitaryan because, you know, he's old enough that he's like, he's basically the Lionel Messi for the Armenian side at this point. Like in terms, like he retired recently and he was just the best player for them forever. So it's obvious he's got a lot of, uh, you know, miles on the tires, but he's still being able to put in performances like this. He's still really, you know, committing and not necessarily always playing in his perfect role. Like, I think that if you asked him, hey, what type of role do you want to be playing in? I think he would want to be in that Trey Partista role most of the time. And it's understandable. He's been, you know, world class at that role in the past. Um, Given that, you know, with Pellegrini taking that that role behind uh, Zaniolo and Abraham, it's it's commendable that he was able to kind of be more in that role that you're describing, that almost DM role. It also, I'm going to mean, I hate to bring this up because I harp on him a lot, but the fact that uh, Mkhitaryan is playing that, that well and playing in that role, it can't really, it doesn't say much for uh, Mourinho's confidence in Veritu at this point, does it? No, I, I, I can't say it does because, you know, initially to start the season, who was playing in the double pivot type role with Crisante, it was, it was Vertu, right? And Mkhitaryan has definitely usurped his place as a, a, an out-and-out starter in that role, not even just in the starting 11, because Mkhitaryan's been a starter for most matches for Roma over the past, you know, almost three seasons now that he's been here. But now in a completely different role, he's really excelled in this match, and he recovers a heck of a lot of balls, man. He puts in a lot of work. A guy his age, you know, he's 33 now, and he's putting in a, a lot of work. He led the team in, in touches with 62 in this match. He had five shot-creating actions to lead the team. Um, six progressive passes. You know, he was four of seven on his dribbles to, to tie Tammy for the most successful dribbles in the match. Uh, five progressive carries led the team. So I'm just spitting out a lot of numbers here, but they were all numbers that were impressive of an all-around performance from Mkhitaryan, who unfortunately in the end ended up getting two yellows and a red. Uh, so he'll mm-hmm. miss the Udinese match. But hey, that might just mean he's a little more rested for the Derby in a couple of weeks. But real good performance. Something you probably wouldn't have expected from him earlier in the season if you said, hey, we're going to throw Mkhitaryan into the double pivot. And and he's in a uh, man-of-the-match type performance. Yeah, I mean, just in general, we've talked about Zalewski already a little bit, but uh, both him and Mkhitaryan I was really impressed with for their ability to play in a position that is not their normal position against a big club. You know, like, it's easier to expect a player to play a different type of role against a minnow, but especially when it really matters in a match that truly was six points. Uh, for both of them to adapt to a different role and to adapt well uh, really speaks volumes to, you know, their, their abilities as players and for Zalewski in particular, potential. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now just thinking about next weekend's Udinese, he's out, right? Cristante probably starts in the one position. Who do you go with in that second position? Uh, probably Eduardo Bove. Um, he looked, you know, even outside of that goal, he looked really, imp- he looked really impressive in the minutes that he's played so far. Plus, you know, I'm of the opinion that while I would love Roma to get Champions League, and especially after this win, I do think it's like still in reach. Um, I also think that the only way for Roma to survive financially in the medium to long term is to make sure that it's young players with talent are getting a chance. Uh, I don't, we're not, we're never going to be, even with the Freakins running the team, we're never going to be a club that just like is able to drop 80 million euros on a guy in the January winter in the winter market uh, to fill a hole, you know, like we're not going to be Juventus in terms of financials, unless things really change 
over the course of the next decade, but it would be a long-term project. So if we're able to both win against smaller clubs and use those chances to kind of um, breed in uh, the younger players, uh, that that's a win. That's a big win, uh, even beyond the three points. Yeah, I'd, I wasn't even thinking about Bove, actually. I was thinking maybe Sergio Oliveira. I don't think Vertu gets the start personally. I think Vertu maybe gets is more of an option in the conference league with some rotation. But Bove is a good shout. And against an, a team like Udinese, I think it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to give him a shot from the opening whistle because Udinese is not the strongest team in the league. They're a team that, you know, is, I think they're somewhere around 14th, 15th place right now. Uh, probably could be handled by a Bove. And guess what? If it doesn't pan out and he's having some difficulty, maybe you take him off at halftime for a more veteran player. But that, that I think, is a good point you make. And I think you're right about the young players. And I actually saw a tweet from uh, – it was definitely a Mourinho you know, fan account type thing. But he said how Tottenham, you know, they would, he would get criticism for not really bleeding in enough young players, blah, blah, blah. And the, the person made the point that Tottenham doesn't have like a top three academy in England to keep bringing in players. And yeah. that Roma has like the, one of the best, if not the best academies in, in Rome. And you're seeing Mourinho bring those type of players into this side. And I thought that was a good point. And, you know, Mourinho did bring in a couple uh, younger players. I think uh, Tangange or something, his name is, I don't remember his, his exact pronunciation of his name. I think he's playing right back for Tottenham these days. Um, so he did bring in a couple players, but over here in Rome, you know, he's brought in, Zalewski now. Bove's gotten his looks. Volpato came up with that big goal first. He's not going to get as many looks because of the position he plays whenever he's healthy. But these guys are getting chances now. And, you know, Felix keeps getting chances even after his nightclub escapades apparently a couple weeks ago. He he got a sub-appearance, so he's, I guess, you know, paid his attrition and, uh, you know, done his penance, and he's back in the side, back in the good graces. But he's given these guys a chance, and that bodes well for Roma's academy, which we've talked about is a very good academy. You know, and I like to see that they're getting the chance now and not when it's too late, because when you look around the league with other DSs and other managers that have been at Roma, they've let some of these players go maybe without getting the proper chance. You know, it takes time for some of these guys. I couldn't believe when I read a tweet, I think it was from uh, Wayne Girardi, I say that Daniele Verdi is only 25 years old for Spezia. Now, is he a Roma yep. quality player as a starter? no. Could he maybe have a role off the bench for him? Possibly. I think Gianluca Caprari is having a heck of a season for Verona. It took him till his mid to late 20s to really excel. And you, now you look at Fratesi, who's linked back to Roma. Like, give these guys a chance, maybe then loan him out and then bring him back, give him another chance before you really cut ties too soon because you, you could come to regret it with some of these kids. Yeah, Roma's academy. I mean, you said it was one of the best in Rome. I hope it's one of the best in Rome. I'm uh, in Italy. I, I'm I, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say I do. I do think it's one of the best in Italy, and it's certainly you know in terms of output in the past five years seems to be pretty unrivaled. Uh, because think of like Ju Juventus generally sources their uh, their youth from a third party. You know, they they yeah. they let some other small club develop the guy, and then they throw ten million euros at him and let him stay there for another season or so and then he comes into the first team is usually how it goes um whereas with Roma they really do have a lot of talent the issue has always been making sure that that talent has the space to grow while still being on under contract and you know that's not really ever going to be resolved until Roma either develops a strong enough relationship with another club of a smaller stature that it's like okay we will loan you this player and he'll actually play like mm -hmm. Ricardo Calafiori has not been playing, which is a real shame yeah. because anytime that I've seen him uh, play 
for Roma. I've been, you know, impressed by the potential, but you know, he's basically just riding the pine at Genoa, which is the worst case scenario. I'd be much happier with him riding the pine in Rome. Uh, and we're talking about a 19th place Genoa team. Exactly. And I mean, I know he's only 19. I know we've been talking about Calafiori for like a decade at this point, but he's 19 still. So I guess it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, I want him to be able to become a starter for Roma someday. And so we need to find a way to get more of these exciting players from our academy opportunities, either in Serie B or at Serie A at a high, at like us for a smaller club where they'll actually be guaranteed playing time in some way, shape or form. Now, Roma has done in the past the whole, you know, what they did with Lorenzo Pellegrini going to Sassuolo, you know, the idea that, you know, technically we're selling him to you, but we've got a really cheap option on him in the future that, you know, is basically a no onerous loan fee, uh, which, you know, obviously uh, incentivizes the uh, receiving club to actually play the player. Uh, but I do think that, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on developing a Roma B side, either in actuality or, you know, in all but name. Uh, that's the only way that Roma is going to be able to compete long-term with the other big clubs. If it actually uses the, the advantages that it has and one of its best advantages without a doubt, it's, it's Academy. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think you make a great point with Calafiotti. If you're going to loan these players out, you kind of have to find a place that fits them best in terms of you know, how does it jive with what Roma's trying to do as a club? Now it's tough with Genoa because they had a managerial change right around the time of the loan. So who knows if maybe the old manager liked the idea of having Calafiori in and the new manager isn't sold on a 19 year old. Is he trying to save a team from relegation and, and trying to maybe get a permanent job next year to hopefully a steady out club for, from his perspective. Um, but one thing I did see in that same thread that I referenced on Twitter, and I don't, I don't remember the, the handles of the usernames, but Somebody else said that, you know, he when I think it was Oliver Skip, who's on Tottenham now, when he was loaned out by Tottenham, they found the side that fit what Tottenham was doing tactically so that when he came back, he was ready. And he's now, I believe, uh, you know, at least a rotation player for Spurs. I don't know Spurs roster that well this year, but those are the kind of loans because we've seen too many times where, where Roma will loan a player out and they don't really get the playing time and it really does them no good. And they come back and they're not ready anymore. I mean, we've seen Roma loan players out in to study a B teams, not get playing time. You know, um, I'm thinking of what's his name, uh, Riccardi, who was supposed to be the next big thing. And maybe he just wasn't that good, but he didn't get playing time at Pescada last season. And now he's over there playing with the Prima Ferris, like an overage player. So you definitely got to find the right places to send these kids. Now, speaking of young kids, the most impressive one in recent weeks has to be Nikola Zalewski. I mean, impressive performance yesterday or two days ago. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like, I've already harped on him a lot, so I'll let you speak a little more on him too. But uh, this is a guy who is showing a lot of determination to find a way into Mourinho's starting 11. Uh, playing as a left wing back was, is not his normal role, but he excelled there uh, against Atalanta, a big side. Uh, even And when he's played in his more traditional role, he's looked good too. And something that I thought was you know really good about his performance was that you know he was involved. And that sometimes... Sometimes when you see a Primavera player get a chance to even start with the big boys, uh, they don't make any mistakes, but they don't stand out as being very involved in everything. You know, they're like, they've got their finger in, in the dike. They're making sure that nothing like falls apart. But with Zalewski, whenever he's played, he's looked like a guy who is a normal part of the rotation for Roma senior players, which 
you know, there had been a lot of hype for him over the past year or so, particularly when Mourinho came to town. Mourinho pretty quickly identified Zalewski as a guy that he wanted to, you know, develop. And that's why he got a contract renewal until like 2026 recently. Uh, but at the same time, it's impressive that he, he is coming to the side and looking like he belongs there straight away. Because, you know, for every guy like that, there are plenty of players who will show potential one day, who will have the ability to succeed at a club like Roma. But, you know, the first couple times might be a little rough. Yeah, I, I thought he fit right in. And, and like you mentioned, playing in a position that's not his traditional position. If he's going to play wing, he's more of an attacking wing type player, not a, a left wing back. And, you know, as a young player, there's no better way to get in a manager's good graces than to show you'll do whatever you need to to get in the side and help the club. And he hustled his ass off on Saturday. He was involved. Big reason why Kumbala was able to have such a good match was because Zalewski was there helping him. They were playing on the same side. So you have a 22-year-old left center back, and I think Zalewski's, what, 19, 20 years old, playing yeah. as the left wing back. And they combined well, uh, 20 years old. So they combined very well. He applied 30 pressures in this match in just 61 minutes before he, he unfortunately rolled his ankle down uh, um, trying to cut in toward the Atalanta goal. It, it was unfortunate for him as his match ended. I'd imagine he's probably going to miss a couple of matches at least because it, it looked like he was in some pain, but 30 pressures in 60 minutes, you know, we're talking about fourth most in the team and only playing two thirds of the match. You know, Bernard Cristante applied the most 48, but he played 90 minutes. So the hustle was there. He's got some offensive talent. Uh, I think he's going to get more playing time as the year goes on, as long as he's able to get over, overcome this ankle injury and get his, you know, get everything together, you know, health-wise. Yeah, and I mean, the best part of a lot of these young players showing ability is that it will, in the summertime, make it 50 times easier for Thiago Pinto both to prioritize certain areas of the team that really need improvement, and also, you know, feel more comfortable saying we don't necessarily need to buy as many depth players or, you know, we can we can cut we can get rid of players who are on huge salary and don't provide much anymore. If you've got the promise of somebody who like Zalewski, who is already showing that, you know, in that left wing, whether that's a left wing back or left winger role, that he has what it takes to succeed, uh, then you're doing something good. Uh, you know, it, it, I love El Shirawi, for example, but like if Zalewski is able to put in really good, consistent minutes over the course of the rest of the season, I'm not saying becomes a star overnight, but just like looks good, looks promising. It's a whole lot easier for Tiago Pinto to then say, oh, OK, I think it's time for us to move on from El Shirawi um, or it's time for us to move on from Jordan Veratou. And we know that even if we can't bring in, you know, the dream midfielder, we've got Eduardo Bove. Or we've got somebody who's like on a low cost deal that we trust will develop into a, a adequate player. Having that is really, really important. Yeah. And with this being the first Mourinho season on a three-year contract, if he's going to fill out his roster with like two sets of starters, so to speak, a big part of that is having cost-effective second options. You know, Zalewski and uh, Fenijan and Bove might not be out-and-out -out starters in the next two seasons for Roma, but they could be solid rotation players to give Marino the option of say, Hey, let me rest uh, DM number one, whoever that may be that comes in in the summer, because we're playing Salernitana this week. They won't be because Salernitana will be done. Said it be, but whoever that version of Salernitana is next season, let me play Bove this match. Or, you know, um, if they're still playing a three, four and Spinazzola is the starting left wing back. Hey, we're playing, you know, Spezia this week. Let's rest Spinazzola because we're playing Europa league or whatever it is 
on Thursday, let's play Zalewski here. And he doesn't have to say, shit, I have to play Zalewski. We're screwed. You know, that that's not what you want. You want to have the players, because that's what happened with Bodo Glimp the first time. He just threw out a roster, uh, a 11 out there, hoping for the best. Heavy rotation, because you don't want to wear out your starters. That's what, you know, a, a manager like him, who's used to having a deep roster, was able to do. Realize, hey, this roster is not quite so deep. It's not a Real Madrid. It's not a Manchester United roster like he was used to. And building up these young players is a big way to alleviate those issues. And like you said, if, if it's a left attacking left winger, if they switch back to a 4-2-3-1 because Mourinho feels comfortable with his defensive midfield pairing next year and he can play Zalewski at left wing, you know, great. If it has to be a left wing back as a rotation piece with Spinazzola, great. I think one thing this speaks a little bit about, and I didn't put it in the outline, is Matias Vigna. Um, you know, first year in Italy, first year in, in Europe, there's definitely been some growing pains. I wonder where this leaves him. I don't think he's gone after the season, but maybe not a candidate for as many minutes as we might have thought when Spinazzola does come back. You know, I'm not convinced that Zalewski in particular will matter for Matias Vigna uh, coming back. I mean, being of it, being the starting left back when Spinny's back, uh, I think that it'll hopefully this summer there'll be more of a battle between Calafiori, Vigna, and Spinazzola for that starting spot. Because uh, I still have hope that Calafiori can become a full-fledged member of this team. Uh, I think that the, the, Zalewski is showing his ability to play at left wing back, but, you know, I don't know if that necessarily means that Mourinho is going to want to play him there regularly. I think that he Mourinho probably still knows that this guy is an attacking talent. If you looked at ever, if you ever looked at the Primavera score, sometimes when he was playing more consistently with the Primavera, you'd be like, Oh wow, this guy Zalewski is like racking up assists and goals. And for someone like that, you want him to be in a more attacking position than left wing back most of the time. I will say for Matias Vigna that, you know, I'm trying to exercise a lot of patience with him. It was pretty inevitable that they're, the ups and downs uh, for him coming in from, you know, we're playing in Brazil. Uh, that's a pretty big jump for anybody, let alone a pretty young defender. Uh, but I do think that, again, the pressure will be on for him this summer to show just how much time he should be getting once we're trying to bring Spinazzola back into the side. And let's be honest. I mean, they remember when they said that Spinazzola was going to come back in November. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're a little bit past that at this point. Uh, but so I wouldn't be surprised if they slow roll, Spinazzola until the summer and then have them all duke it out for you know those two or three slots at the left back position yeah I'm thinking we see some limited Spinazzola time just to get him back in the swing of things as the season goes on when he is ready and and it's full-fledged come you know August when the new season starts I think is what we're looking at with Spinazzola at this point I think now that we're into March I don't think you're looking at more than a handful of minutes before the season's over and you look at him as maybe a, a, a quote-unquote new signing for Mourinho next season because guess what if he comes back at 90% of the player he was, he was the, arguably the best left back in the world at the time he got injured. For oh, he was. So yeah, he was without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. So if you're looking at a guy who's at 90% of that when he comes back, because, you know, an Achilles is a tough injury to come back with, that's still a, an above average left back. Or as you would say, his like his in baseball wins above replacement kind of statistic yeah. would certainly be well above zero, even as a, a not full speed Spinazzola. Uh, from what we've seen from him, both offensively and defensively. So just before we get to a couple of listener questions, Jim, Roma's now six behind Juve, 10 behind Napoli with 10 to play. Is there still a shot at the Champions League? Yes. Um, to expand <laughs> a little bit more, 
to, to expand a little bit more beyond that, I think that it's a slim chance. I think that it's far more likely that Roma gets the Europa League. Uh, but I do think that particularly with this match in the bag, Roma has a very good shot. Juventus do not scare me this season. Um, the good news, I mean, honestly, the good news for Roma season being as poor as it has been is that there have been a lot of clubs who have also been, you know, similarly hot yeah. and cold. And so if Roma gets hot at the right time, yeah, I could see them getting that fourth CL slot. Um, I could see that happening pretty quickly. Uh, I also, but I don't, I don't think that the 10 points behind Napoli part is that important. I don't, I don't see Roma getting the third. I see, I see fourth being a distinct possibility. Uh, but I, and I, especially with how poorly Atalanta in particular has been playing, like knock on wood, but Atalanta has been so poor, uh, in 2022 that I really do think that they could, you know, slide down out of the European contention if they keep playing this way. Um, and yeah, I mean, the other clubs that are kind of there and here, there and everywhere, you know, Lazio, Fiorentina, they don't scare me too much either. So I think that it'll probably come down to Roma versus Juventus as it usually does, whether it's for the title or, you know, for, I guess, that last CL spot these days. And uh, I don't know who will get it. My money would probably be on Juventus if I was betting them. Yeah, if I was betting, I'd still have to put my money on Juventus just because they took the, the all six points off Roma. The most frustrating loss of the season remains that 4-3 loss uh, after yeah. being 3 when it gets Juve. Because guess what? If that result goes Roma's way and they don't completely blow that game, they're level with yeah. Juve right now. And they're level in terms yeah. of head-to-head points. And then it's really game on for fourth place. And even say they did drop that those, those last three weeks before the Spezia match, those three draws make up six points. We could we could look at the whole schedule and say Roma could have had six points in a lot of places. But that, that head-to-head with Juve, if they finish six behind or less uh, for fourth place, will certainly be the game we pinpoint because that's a six-point swing game. Napoli 10 is still seems out of reach unless Napoli goes into free-for-all after yesterday's loss to Milan. Still a shot at yeah. the Champions League. Slim. Very slim because of, you know, the calendar. Roma still got some some big ones left. Inter, they've got Napoli, they've got the Derby in two weeks, they've got Fiorentina. I think Europa League is still the most realistic possibility. And if Roma can get results in the Derby and then Fiorentina, which is late in the season, that would almost guarantee them fifth with some good results in other matches. So I think fifth would be a, a, a solid finish to the season, considering the way it started, considering that we finished seventh last season, this Mourinho's first season. It would be a sign of improvement and something to build on with the right moves in the Mercato. So not getting too far ahead of ourselves, though, in terms of end of the season. Next two weeks, two week match, uh, two match weeks, which makes things a little bit more difficult in terms of player management could lead to fatigue in some of these other matches. So how, how do you approach the conference league if you're Mourinho against Vitesse, the, the Dutch side, which I don't know too much about that side. But, you know, Roma will be heavily You, you got to go all in. You got to go all in. Um, I'm not a believer in half-assing any competition, uh, let alone, you know, Roma's only chance at silverware this season. And I also think that, you know, we kind of fell apart after that Bodo mess up. And even if half the starters aren't actually playing in that ECL match, it still matters if we lose because there's such a strong Roma has such a history of falling apart that actually winning the ECL would just do wonders for the mentality. I'm convinced. Even if it, even if people say, Oh, it's a meaningless trophy. Oh, it's a brand new trophy. 
I don't really care because at the end of the day, Roma needs to develop confidence. And the only way to develop confidence is to get some wins. And so I want Roma to go all in on ECL trying to make that happen. Yeah, I, I definitely think at this point, now that you're into the round of 16 and you're playing a team that you should beat on paper, I think you do have to approach it with the all-in type mentality to try to win this competition uh, and definitely at least get to the quarterfinals and see who you draw there and, and go from there. I do think there has to be some rotation in this match coming up, but Roma will also have a couple of players suspended for the weekend against Udinese, which should free those players up to definitely start this match on Thursday. Uh, let me just pull up the, the suspensions for the Udinese match. So suspended is Mkhitaryan and Kambula. So I expect both of them to start. Maybe you rotate out Mancini or Smalling along the back line, rest one of those guys and get Ibanez some minutes. I think, you know, maybe this is a, a Jordan Ver two type game. Some guys that are first team type players, but maybe aren't out and out starters anymore. Um, and I think you have to go for it. And just reading off the other teams in the conference league, like you mentioned, to go for it. Pauk against Gent. Again, Roma is, would be favored against either of those teams. Partizan Belgrade uh, and Feyenoord. Roma would be favored against either of those teams if they advance the quarterfinals. Slavia Prague and LASK. Roma's going to be favored. Bodo and AZ Alkmaar. All respects, you know, to, to Bodo for taking four points off Roma. Roma would still be favored in a head-to-head, I think, in a knockout stage. Leicester and yeah. Wren, a couple teams that would be tough. You know, Leicester's pretty tough. Uh, Marseille and Basel. Marseille could, you know, with some of our old friends there, could be a, a tough match. Uh, and other than that, it's, it's PSV and FC Copenhagen. So, you know, maybe PSV's tough. But I think most of those sides, Roma's got to be one of the the one, two, or three in the rankings, if you did like a power rankings of Europa League clubs, they would certainly be in the top three. So definitely a competition that Mourinho, will, I think, will be eyeing a trophy. He's, he's a trophy guy. He's not looking just to, you know, oh, we finished fifth. We got Europa. We got, we're going to mail it in the conference league to get fifth and, and get the Europa League. Yeah, they don't, they don't give out trophies for placing fifth yeah. last time I checked. And I, I'm going to be honest. I know it might be lame. But I want a trophy. I'm sorry. We've 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 gone so long without one, and I've been waiting for the Copa Italia to happen. I've been waiting. You know, there was a time in the 2010s where I was hoping that a Scudetto could happen. We need something just to convince these guys. You know, that Roma is a place where you can win more than anything. Uh, because I think that you know, as much as it's important for Roma's finances to get Champions League football again, there is gonna. It's a whole lot easier to sell someone on staying at Roma. If you say, look, we've won something, we can win things. And if you don't, if you don't think Roma can do anything other than get fourth place, then you're going to be way more inclined to think of it as a stepping stone club. Whereas even if UCL is kind of a joke, uh, getting that one trophy, I think could really help improve Roma's mentality and, you know, make a Copa Italia victory next season more possible. Make getting into the Champions League more possible, make winning Europa League next year, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, winning the ECL gets you a slot in the, in the Europa League, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, winning anything will help with this club's mentality because when winning begets winning. And so I think that we really need to try to make sure that ECL happens. Yeah. And, and guess what? Maybe it'll end the bonsai tree memes for, for once and, yeah. and, and yeah, for all maybe. And Jerry mentioned, you <laughs> could stop with those on Twitter. Um, so just a couple listener questions we'll go to, to wrap up. We, we answered quite a few of the ones you guys threw out there in our outline to begin with, but a couple that we got that we could touch on quick, Jim, uh, Yasser else, asked, do you expect next season to look more like Atalanta matches or the Juve matches of this season? That really depends on the next couple months. Um, not to, you know, I don't know if we can swear BS the question. Um, I, I, I do think that uh, 
a lot of how next season will play out does come down to whether or not Roma gets Champions League money, whether or not Roma wins ECL. I do think that if Roma falls flat on its face in ECL and, you know, ends up in like sixth or seventh or gets ECL again, that it will have pretty bad consequences for this club. Uh, and we'll see a lot more Juventus losses than Atlanta wins. If we actually can win something, if we can actually, you know, get a trophy or and get back into the Champions League, I think that, you know, with the right players being brought in, uh, we could really start looking like a competent side again, which would be really nice. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I expect more of the Atalanta type matches, I'm hoping. I'm going to be optimistic about it. I think the Juve ones were definitely two of the most frustrating matches this season for me. The first one, because Roma was the better team and gave up that early goal and Juve parked the bus and did what Allegri loves to do and play that old school Catanacho type football. The second one, God knows how Juve scored four goals. I, I, I still can't believe it. And that was before Vlaovic, and they still can't seem to score four goals with Vlaovic these days. So that was just a complete mental breakdown, in my opinion, in Roma's, uh, you know, and I think what you mentioned in terms of like winning a conference league trophy might not seem like a lot, but it goes toward building that mentality. So those kind of matches don't happen anymore where you're up four, you're up three, one, that game's on lock. It's in Rome. Roma's not blowing that match anymore. That's what you need to get out of the club. And, you know, there'll be some additions in the summer that will help with that is I'm sure as well, players with the right mentality that Mourinho sees fit and Pinto sees fit. And hopefully we get more of that. And then one more, just thinking about the summertime, Jim, from Bello Samuel. Do you expect a lot of the older high earners like El Sharari, Vertu, Perez, Diwara to be moved on in the summer? Vertu is gone. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make that bold statement right now. I think Vertu is almost definitively gone. Even before he dropped in form, there were a lot of rumors linking him elsewhere. And it really seems like he hasn't taken well to the fact that now that he had, when he has moments of poor form, he's not a guaranteed spot on the side. Uh, I think that as much as I liked what he brought to the table last season, part of me does wonder if he's the type of guy who is a good player on a, like a great player on a mediocre team type guy, you know, the guy who can't really put up the numbers that you need when you actually are trying to win a lot of stuff. Because, like, look at how poor – like, Fiorentina was about where we are on the table when he was playing for them before this. And so I hope – I think we'll move on from him. Diawara, we just need to find a buyer. We've been trying to move on him from him for, like, yeah. a year now. Uh, El Shirawi, I think he's probably done. I, 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 it just doesn't seem like – like, I, I respect him for coming back from China and, you know, actually trying to make a run for it. But it seems pretty obvious that he's no longer really a central part of Mourinho's plans. And or leeway when it comes to getting rid of El Shirawi as well. Who else did they list? Um, the last else? one was uh, Carlos Pettis. Yeah, he's a dead man walking. I, I, we just haven't seen any, him in forever and that to me seems like the biggest indicator not of necessarily being in the doghouse but just not being in the long-term plans anymore because if Mourinho's choosing to play players like Volpato or Zalewski or Bove over you the writing's basically on the wall yeah I agree I think at, at least three of those guys going there too I think hopefully somebody comes with a decent offer Newcastle looks like they're staying up in the Premier League after they were you know relegation uh in danger for a while so hopefully with their new money and their, those links maybe he goes there somewhere Diwara uh 
unless he, you know, pulls a Fazio Santon type thing again this summer, I think he's gone. They got to find a buyer for him. I mean, at, at his age, he's got to want to play somewhere. He's not going to want to just sit around anymore. I mean, it's got to get old at some point. Perez, like you said, I think he's gone. El Shirari, I, I love El Shirari, but the fact that he's not playing over players like Zalewski when they're playing in this uh, system that they're playing in right now says that he's probably not very you know, central to El, uh, Mourinho's plans. He could be back as like a, a, a squad player if he's willing to take on a role that's not a, st- a regular starter. Maybe he will. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wants to, to get a crack at a team that'll start him because the World Cup is coming up in November if knock on wood, Italy qualifies because, you know, they have to qualify first, but he might still have some ambitions to get on uh, a World Cup team before it's too late because he's now p- pushing 30. So we'll see. But I think uh, for the most part, I think those those high earners will be gone um, in some way, shape or form to make way for new players and to open up playing time for some of these youngsters, like we said. And uh, one more question, Jim, before we wrap, Mark Jensen asked, do you think the absence of Jose on the touchline takes away bad refereeing decisions and makes the games flow better? I'm going to be real and say I don't think it hurts to have him off the touchline. The refs hate him, man. I, I honestly do think that they hate him. Um, and I think that more broadly, they've got a big problem with the club right now. And, you know, I wouldn't tell Roma to stop defending itself against shoddy refereeing, but, you know, Roma actually defending itself probably hasn't helped matters either. Uh, I don't have a real answer to that one, though, because I do like what Mourinho's planning has been able to develop so far like I feel like I do feel like we're starting to grow towards something right now which is nice so it's not like I should I can say like oh we should just sack Mourinho because the refs hate him but like also I do think the refs hate him (laughs) yeah I I don't think it I don't think it hurts Roma not having him there from like a refereeing like confrontation uh point of view but like you said he's still putting the team together I I did the problem formations last week and uh Brent I guess we was doing the editing and he goes Wait, isn't Mourinho suspended? I said, yeah, but you, you do you think Salvatore Foti is really putting the lineup card together? Like Mourinho's yeah. putting that card together. He's probably got a, an earpiece in, or he's texting somebody. He's been zooming. No, he's been. Yeah. Uh, I, I read a report saying he was like Facetiming into like the halftime talk and giving the halftime. Talk. Yeah, like he's like no offense, actively to involved, Fulte, but like it's Mourinho's team. <laughs> he's doing the training all week. He's putting that game plan together that beat out Alonso. So. I know there's some Mourinho lovers who will give him all the credit, some Mourinho haters who will say, well, he was suspended. Look, these last two matches, Roma won. Guess what? If you're complimenting the way Roma played these last two matches, it's on Mourinho for the most part because he is putting the game plan together. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, Jim, anything you want to leave the listeners with before we go? Um, hmm. I would just say that I really – I'll just – restated i didn't expect getting six points out of atalanta this season so i mean it's not it's not a trophy it's not gonna make us automatically get to fourth place but it is a start yeah for sure i i did not expect to get six points off atalanta if you asked me before the season if if that was the side i expected to get six points off of out of the top seven i would have said no way if i had to pick one side it's hard to say maybe lazio just because they were in transition as well but impressive so you know that's something that at least build on is taking six points off of a what has been a perennial champions league team for the last three seasons a team that's given us a lot of trouble and now hopefully roma can take that hard-fought Spezia win this hard-fought atalanta win uh, into the conference league get a win there beat udinese get another win in the conference league and then go into their derby riding some momentum and hopefully be back monday after a couple more roma victories in, in both competitions and then in a couple weeks 
with Lazio, we'll, we'll hopefully get a, a much needed Derby victory. So thank you guys again for listening and we'll be back soon.